everybody. I'm Morag, as Graham said, and I'm a member of the congregation here. And today we're going to continue with our sermon series uh, on the Gospels, looking, how, looking at how Jesus has been portrayed by each of the writers. Matthew saw Jesus as a teacher, Mark as a deliverer and rescuer, and today we're going to look at Luke, who sees Jesus as the healer and reconciler. But first of all, let's have a little think about the background to Luke and to the book of Luke. Luke was a Gentile by birth. He was well-educated in the Greek culture, and he was a physician, a doctor by profession. He was a companion and friend of Paul's, and he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey, and he stayed with him until his death in, in Rome. He was with him while he was imprisoned, and he stayed until he died. So he was a loyal friend to Paul. Uh, Luke, wrote bo booth, sorry, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Both books are addressed to the same individual, Theophilus, which can be translated as loved by God, but also carries the idea of friend of God. Luke is the most comprehensive gospel. He documents the story of Jesus all the way from the Annunciation of John the Baptist to his Ascension. Um, Luke's is the most universal gospel, and Gentiles are often portrayed in a favorable light. Luke's gospel is, most interested, is the one most interested in women, children, and social outcasts. Luke's gospel is the one most interested in prayer, and it's the one with the most emphasis on the Holy Spirit and on joy. Luke's gospel includes more parables than any other gospel, and it's the gospel with the most emphasis on preaching the good news, the gospel. Luke wrote this gospel for a Gentile audience, emphasizing that the Messiah came to the poor, the lowly, the outcast, and the Gentiles. He wanted to bring the outsiders in. He wanted to find what was lost, those that were lost. Luke had a real heart for the poor and wanted to reach the marginalized since Jesus had come to preach good news to the poor. Luke believed that, God, that Christ sorry, had come for all, and this is mirrored in the writings of Paul. In Romans, Paul writes, in Jesus Christ, God has acted to provide salvation for all who believe. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And Galatians 3:28, we read, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one <clears throat> in Christ Jesus. The good news in Luke's gospel was to bring healing and reconciliation to mankind a ministry of reconciliation entrusted to us, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So today's talk is going to focus on the passage that Nick has just read for us, and it tells of two healings, the healing of the leper and the healing of the paralyzed man. So the first healing, the healing of the leper. While Jesus was in one town, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, what does this passage tell us? Well, it tells us, first of all, that Jesus was willing. The man asked him, Lord, are you, a will are you willing? And Jesus replied, yes, I am willing. And he reached out and he touched the leper before he healed him, showing that he was not able to be de defiled by the, the, the leper's uncleanness. Now, this is an important point because in those days, the Jews thought of themselves as a separate people, a holy people, a people set apart. And they were governed by rules and regulations about what they could and couldn't do and people that they could mix with or couldn't mix with. And they certainly could not mix with people who had leprosy because just by being with them, they may catch the disease and that would make them unclean. And Jesus healed this man of a very serious disorder. Now, he's not only healing him, but he's pronouncing him to be cleansed at the same time. Now, again, in the time of Jesus, if anybody was healed, particularly of something like leprosy, which is a contagious disease, there had to be a time of testing when that person still lived apart from the community just to ensure that they had been really healed and that they couldn't still transmit um, the condition, the disease. But Jesus, no, he healed him and he told him, he was cleansed at the same time. There was no need for the time of testing. Then he told him to go to the temple and offer his sacrifice to, and to be a witness to the priests. Now here I'm going to quote from some notes that Graham sent to me because I couldn't put it any better myself. So he, he did this to show that healing is connected to the reconciling work of God, given by covenant to the Israelites. It's an affirmation that Jesus is the promised Messiah not a fringe radical, but one who comes in the line of and as a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. Let's think about the second healing, the healing of the paralyzed man. Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus is in a room in a house. The room is full of very learned men, Pharisees, teachers of the law, and Jesus is talking to them, preaching to them, and they're all listening very intently. Some because they may be interested in what Jesus has got to say, but some, like the Pharisees, were hoping that Jesus is going to say something that can be used against him uh, later on. Suddenly, bits of the ceiling begin to fall down on top of them, right? Bits of wood, bits of mud suddenly land on top of them. Next thing they know, a big hole appears in the ceiling, and a man is lowered in on a stretcher. A paralyzed man is lowered in on a stretcher in front of Jesus. His friends had brought him to, to Jesus. They tried to get in through the door, but there was no way in. They maybe even tried to come in through the windows, but there was no way in. So they had to think outside the box. There was, they had to think, how are we going to get this man to Jesus? So they came in an unconventional way. And that maybe gives us a little bit of food for thought as well about how we introduce family and friends that we would really like to know Jesus. Maybe coming to church on a Sunday is not the right thing for them, will not bring them to faith. But maybe we should think about taking them to things like prayers and prosecco, prayers and pastries, sanctuary gig nights, youth football on a Saturday afternoon. Introduce them to Jesus in an alternative way. What else can we learn from, from this text? Well, Bob Deffingbaugh in his commentary suggests that we can look at the contrasts this text presents. The friends were persistent in their efforts to, re to reach Jesus. They kept trying. The Pharisees and teachers were resistant. 
increasingly drawing back from Jesus. The friends overcame various obstacles. They climbed up onto the roof to get to Jesus. And the Pharisees themselves were obstacles, keeping others from Jesus. The friends wanted others to benefit from the blessings which Jesus bestowed upon men. But the Pharisees and teachers rejected these blessings and cared little about others benefiting from Jesus. This passage also raises a number, the response of Jesus rather, raises a number of questions as well. How can Jesus forgive this man's sins based on the faith of others? Isn't the forgiveness of sins based on an individual's repentance and faith? How can Jesus dare forgive a man's sin when only God can do that? And how could Jesus offer forgiveness of sins when what this man probably really wanted was physical healing, physical wholeness? Steve Mottier, in his commentary on the healing of the paralyzed man, suggests that verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, is a pivotal point. Nothing could have happened without their faith. Jesus saw the faith of the friends, and he was moved by it. The faith was active. It was bold. It was like Jesus' faith when he reached out and healed the, the leper in the, in the previous story. They were desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They believed that Jesus could heal him, and Jesus responded to their faith, and he healed their friend. Paul calls this faith working through love in Galatians 5, verse 6. And while all this was going on, the Pharisees were muttering among themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 21. As Steve Motti in his commentary reminds us that in Jesus' time, illness, disabilities were often linked to sin. Therefore, if you had a condition like the paralyzed man, you must have been a sinner. You must have done something dreadful. So it stands that Oh yes, they even, they even had a list linking specific sins to specific illnesses as well. So if you did such and such a sin, you'd end up paralyzed, or another one, and you'd end up with leprosy or something like that. So if Jesus is willing to heal, heal this man physically, then it follows that his sins are also forgiven. Now Jesus does dispute this assumption elsewhere in the Bible, but in this context, he uses it because everyone in the room is making that assumption. All the Pharisees and people there, when they're looking at the paralyzed man, they think of him as a sinner. He must be a sinner because he is paralyzed. So by reaching out, healing this man, he's not only making him whole, but he is forgiving his sins. And he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, verse 24. By forgiving the man, Jesus was revealing his divinity. Jesus is God. What does this text mean for us? What can we take from it? Jesus saw, uh, sorry, Luke saw Jesus as a healer and reconciler. For Jesus, healing meant reconciliation with God. Let's consider these questions. Should our prayers for healing focus on more than physical healing? Should they be more about a life reconciled to God? And we have an excellent example here in the congregation of someone who was uh, healed uh, physically. And I have spoken to Tanya and asked for permission to use her as an example here in my sermon. And when we were chatting, I asked her about before her healing and after her healing. 
And she said to me that before she was healed, she felt she was not good enough for God, that she was too messy for God, that she couldn't ask God for things because she just wasn't good enough. But once that she was able to accept that God loved her as she was, that he loved her with all her messiness, that's what made her Tanya, and he loved her, she became reconciled to God. And this opened a way for God to minister in her life in many, many different ways. And one of them was physical healing. Since then, her faith has grown, relationship with God has deepened, and she's got to know God better and what he wants for her. I have a, a condition of the hip that, that gives me a lot of pain. Now, I've had it for quite a number of years now. And once I went, when I went to, to focus about three years ago, I went with the intention of being healed. I was sure God was going to heal me at focus. And I went to the healing tent and I had prayer and no healing happened. I, I wasn't healed. I was very, very disappointed. But on the final night, I went to um, the big tent and Pete Gregg was talking and his talk was based on Paul's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 8 to 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to, you, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul had a physical condition or some ailment, we don't know what it was, that he asked God to heal him from. And God replied in, in this passage, in, with this passage here. And I realized during that talk that God was talking directly to me. He was saying to me, Morag, you are focusing on the wrong things. You have got to go away and adapt your life. You've got to learn to live with this and live a life, you live your life accordingly. So I went away and I did. I made adjustments to my life. I slowed down. I didn't take on as many things. And as a result, I spent more time with God. I spent more time in prayer. I spent more time studying the Bible in fellowship with other people. And my my uh, faith was deepened, and I was reconciled to God in other areas of my life. God healed me in other ways. And I was able to, to see the plan that he had for me, where he's leading me, which is probably why, well, I'm no doubt that's why I'm standing here talking to you today. Has God been reconciling you to him? Are there areas in our lives that need healing and reconciliation? Do we feel, as Tanya did, that we're too messy for God, that we're, that we're not good enough for him, that we can't ask him? Let's give him our messy, untidy lives. Let's bring him our brokenness, our hurts, our fears, our disappointments, our broken relationships, our shame. Give it all to God. Ask for healing and reconciliation. Trusting in his grace and forgiveness and love because, and remembering because his grace, forgiveness, and love is what enables us, in turn, to forgive and to love others. It makes us whole. Let's spend a bit of time now in prayer, thinking about areas in our lives that might need reconciling to God. Let's give him anything that's on our minds, anything that's causing us unhappiness, fear, disappointment. We can give him anything, 
Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing's too messy. Let's be honest and just give him everything. God of unbounded grace, you declare the power of your reconciling love in death and resurrection of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Teach us who live only in your forgiveness to forgive one another. Heal our divisions, cast out our fears through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Morag. Let's just um, remain in an attitude of prayer. But let's stand. Because uh, in standing, it's as though we, we just give the Lord our full attention. And it's a sign of our physically being uh, present with God. Sarah's going to lead us in a song. Um, but as uh, she sings, you, you may wish to sing. You may wish to just keep silence and keep on bringing